grab your Bibles and turn to the book of 1 John as we continue in our study. Will the real Christians please stand up? And what we're doing is we're exploring the validating marks of true Christianity. How do you know who the true Christians are? And we're moving through this study with the goal that John wrote to us about in 1 John 5.13, where he says, I'm writing these things to you so that you will know that you have eternal life. That's what we're working on. Carrot cake. <laughs> You're not going to believe this, okay? So we went to Jay Walker's Friday night. Just us with some friends. We went to Jay Walker's um, to eat. And when we got done um, with dinner, the, the couple that we were with, they ordered carrot cake. And the waitress looked at us with surprise because I didn't order carrot cake. And she goes, well, aren't you going to order carrot cake? And she said, I heard about what you did. <laughs> and I said, oh, really? And they, and <laughs> here's the deal. I talked to one of the waitresses um, that normally waits on us, and I said, okay, so what's the deal? What has happened? She said, I don't know what you said, but we are getting flooded with people that come here and say, we're here to eat because our pastor said it was the best carrot cake we could ever find. And they were passing out samples. She goes, you were passing out samples in your church? And I said, yeah. And Robin goes, it had a spiritual emphasis. It had a spiritual <laughs> emphasis. But you know what? Listen, if we could realize that if we would just share the wonderful news, the wonderful taste and see that the Lord is good message of Jesus Christ, the people might actually go give it a try. Oh, God, give us more nicks, like carrot cakes for Jesus. That's what we are. You know, we're going to go out and be carrot cake. I mean, praise the Lord um, for the testimonies of faith that we hear here in the baptistry. We've got two more that are going to come in the next service. Listen, my friends, this is what we're working on right now. This is what John desperately wants us to know, that we are in Christ and then if we're in Christ, how do we live in Christ? And that's where we're going to go today. So let's jump right in to 1 John chapter 2, verse 15, 16, and 17. We're just going to take on three verses this morning, but powerful verses, and try to apply them to our lives. So let me just read all three of them, and then we'll break them apart, okay? Do not love this world, nor the things it offers you. For if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. For the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. And this world is fading away, along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live Forever. So today's message is this. What's wrong with the world and why can't I love it? 
That's the message today. That's what we're gonna work on today, what John wants us to work on. But before we dive into what he's going to tell us about it, I just wanna define something for you because it's important to know what we're talking about, right? Whenever we're reading the word, right? Right, everybody say right, right. It's, imp it's important that we understand what we're talking about. And whenever he uses the term world, what is he talking about? It's important for us um, to know that. So anytime you see this word world in the Bible, you have to ask the question, what part of the world is he talking about? Because they interchangeably use different words in the Greek in order to describe our English word world, okay? So there's three different worlds spoken of in the scripture. There is the word for the world, which is talking about the planet, like in Psalm 24, one, the earth is the Lord's, the world is the Lord's and everything in it and the world and all of its people belong to him. What he's talking about there is the, the word for the earth, okay, the globe and then the people that are on the globe. There's also um, people, the, they use the world, word world when they're talking about people in the scriptures. In fact, what's the most famous verse in the Bible that helps us understand that they use the word world and they're talking about people? John 3:16. God so loved the world that he gave his son so that anyone in the world, so that anybody's talking about people who will put their faith and believe in him will not perish because of their sins, but have eternal life. What an awesome, wonderful scripture that is. In that, in that case, the world is talking about the people. Well, there's a third world that they talk about, and it's called the system of the world, the world system. Mark 4.19 describes this. There are those who hear the word, but things of this world, the things of this world enter into it and choke the word that is planted in their hearts. This is talking about the things that are in the world, the system of the world. It's not the planet that chokes out the word. It's not the people that choke out the word. It's the things in the world and the things of the system of the world. And so when we talk about don't love the world, what are we talking about? The planet, people, or the world system? What do you think? It's the world system. We know we're supposed to love the planet. This is what God created. And when he got done creating, he said it is good. And we're supposed to love the people of the planet because God created the people of the planet. But we're not supposed to love the world system which God did not create. You got that? Write it down somewhere, lock it into your brain because this world system is not of God. So we're dealing with why can't I love the world? Because we're not supposed to love this system. We're not supposed to love this world system. Well, why not? Why can't I love the world? I'm gonna work down three reasons today. Reason number one is this, because it's the enemy of holiness. It's the enemy of holiness. I'm gonna show you what I mean by that. First John 5, 19, John tells us this. The whole world, this is the world system right now. The whole world lies in the power of the evil one. In John 12, 31, Jesus calls Satan the ruler of this world. And in Luke 16, interestingly enough, Jesus said that the people of this world, of the world system, okay, not that just all people on the planet, but the people in the world system, of this world system, are sons of this world. That's what Jesus describes them as. 
Everyone you know that has not yet come into Jesus Christ, into a relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ, is a son or daughter of this world system. In fact, Jesus went even further and said that these people who do not know me because they're in the world and that they're of the world system are doing the will of their father, the devil. And that's a harsh thing to say. You don't go around in your evangelism and witnessing telling people, you know, you're a, you're a son of the devil or you're a daughter of the devil. You don't tell people that. But that is a reality that before we come to Christ, we are children of our father, the devil, who is the father of this world system. He's actually holding us back from knowing God and his system. He's actually stopping the ears and blinding the eyes and the hearts and the minds of those who do not know the Lord. He's doing everything he can with his world system to keep as many people as he can from entering into God's world system. Write this down somewhere. Because here it is, that the world system is Satan's system for opposing all that God is doing on the planet and in its inhabitants. That's why you don't love the world. Don't love the world and the world system because it is not of God, it is of Satan. And everything in it is designed to oppose everything that God is doing. You just need to understand, you and I need to understand there is a real, re, a very real battle going on in this world for the hearts of people. Satan and everything he's doing is coming after us. In fact, the number one enemy of everything good and righteous that God wants to produce in your life and mine is loaded into Satan's world system to keep us, to derail us from doing everything right and good that God wants us to do and to live the way God wants us to live. I came across this in my study and I wanna read it to you. Um, it's really applicable to this when we're talking about the fact that Satan's system is warring against God's system. In World War I, which took place in 1914. That war went on for four years and 10 million people died as a result of that war. 10 million people. A few years later, World War II happened, launched in 1939. It lasted for six years and 37 million casualties. That's staggering. So worldwide, between those two wars, 47 million people became casualties, victims of that war. And on a human level, these are the greatest wars ever to be fought. However, there is an even greater war being waged in the world today. And it involves every single nation and is against every single person on the face of the earth. Every person here today is involved in this war. If you become a casualty of this war, you lose not only your life here on this earth, but you lose your life and eternity as well. And you forfeit life in the joy of the Lord while you're on this earth. 
If you become a casualty of this war, you will suffer eternal judgment. That's a fact. The war we're talking about is the war of worldliness. And this war is fought with weapons that aren't normal. Not weapons of this earth, the normal weapons you would use in a war. It's a covert war and most aren't even aware that it's being waged upon them and yet it is constantly bombarding the minds of people, deleting their joy and devastating their families. And it's going on at your house and my house. It's being waged in your mind and my mind and against your heart and my heart. It is the target of all of us. In John 15, Jesus said, and he's talking to those of his followers and therefore he's talking to us today. He said this, the world hates me. I often, I'm often puzzled by that. Name one thing that Jesus did out of selfish ambition. Name one thing that irritates you about people that Jesus did against somebody else. We know that all Jesus did was go about doing good, go about healing people's illnesses and taking care of their spiritual needs and, and doing good for people, and yet the world hates me. What hates him? It's Satan's system. The world hates me, and because it hates me, it's going to hate you. And don't miss this, it's apropos to what we're talking about today. It will hate you because you love me and you don't love it. That's why it's going to hate you. In fact, in verse 19, he goes on to say in John chapter 15, the world would love you as one of its own if you belonged to it, if you loved it. But you're no longer part of the world. I chose you to come out of the world, and because you have come out of the world, it hates you. You following me? Listen, my friends, he chose you, and he called you out of this world system. And when we leave it, the world system, we give up our citizenship of that. We kind of like defect, as it were, and we become citizens of heaven. We become, the Bible says, sojourners. We're just pilgrims. We're just marching through this world until we get to where our citizenship is, and that is with the Father in heaven. You have left this world. You're not a part of it anymore, so don't love it. But you know, John's talking about more than just separation from the world. We're supposed to actually be dead to it and dead to all of its allurements. Galatians 6.14, Paul writes this, may I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, get this, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. We're talking about crucifixion here. And what's involved in crucifixion? Death. What's the goal of crucifixion? Death. In Jesus Christ, through the cross of Christ, we have been crucified to the world 
and the world to us. That's a powerful statement. We are actually dead to the world and the world is supposed to be dead to us. Any further interaction, once you're in Christ, any further interaction and love for the world is unacceptable and it is a serious problem for God's people. James 4.4, look at it on the screen. Don't you realize that friendship with the world makes you an enemy of God? Wow. So James is like, in case you missed it, let me say it again. If you want to be a friend of the world, you make yourself an enemy of God. Wow. Don't love the world. Just being a friend of the world makes you an enemy of God. I don't know what loving the world makes you. But you have a choice. We have a choice. Nod your head. See, God is, I've heard this statement, God's a gentleman. He doesn't force his will on you. You have a choice, but you can't, what John's points John's making is you can't live in both camps. You can't say that you're a Christian and love the world. And you can't be in love with the world and say you have the love of God in your heart. He's pretty simple and straightforward in verse 15. Don't love the world or anything in the world, but if you love the world, you do not have the love of the Father in you. This, my friends, is the mark of true Christianity. Those who are in Christ do not love the world. Got it? But you might be... but I still kind of do. Does that mean I'm not saved? There's a question. Because there's a problem here, and I'm gonna talk about the problem, but I want you to hear something, okay? All the stuff we're talking about, everything that we've been talking about, if you don't love your neighbor, then you can't say you have the love of God in your heart. That's what it's saying. Well, what about the times that I don't love my neighbor? Does that mean I'm not saved? If you're not living holy, righteous lives, then you can't say that you're part of me. But what about the times when I don't? Here's what you need to keep thinking and keep putting in your mind. We're not talking about perfection here on this stuff. But if you do not have a pattern of increased growth in these things... What we're talking about today is loving the world. If you do not see a pattern of increased growth about leaving behind you the things of the world and walking into the love and life of the Lord Jesus Christ, then how can you say, how can you know that you're a believer? Because it's clear all the way through the New Testament, it's clear. Paul especially speaks to this. Don't be fooled. Don't deceive yourselves. People who live this way cannot say that they're Christians. They're not. So what we're talking about here is loving the things of the world and living in that love for the things of the world. What he's saying is, if that's you, you need to seriously question your salvation. 
But he wants us to know that there is a difference, and we're talking about the true marks of Christianity. Those who are truly in Christ, those who really know the Lord, will not love the things of the world, even though we'll be tempted to, and we will be drawn to. But he's saying, don't do it. Grow up. Stop loving the things of the world. Here's the problem with the world system. <laughs> along with, and it's satanic to the core, but along with the world system, you see, Satan's smart, okay? He doesn't walk up and say, hi, I'm Satan. <laughs> Follow me. Because he knows we'll all go, sorry, I'm under the blood of Jesus Christ, I'm not doing it. So what he does is he creates a system with allurements. He creates a system and has things in it that by the, our very nature, we crave. Verse 15 says, don't love the world or the things in the world. There are things in the world system that we're not supposed to love because of what it is. But here's a second reason that I want you to work on now that we're gonna keep on moving though. We don't love the world because of what it is and what it does. You see, what it is, is the great lie of Satan that if you will love what the world offers you, what his system offers then you, then you will find true satisfaction and fulfillment while you live this life. And that is a big fat lie and he knows it. But he sets before us every day a table of enticement. And what it does is it lures us back into the old system that we were saved from and called out of. But all it is is an enticement to sin and that will quench the power of God in your life and therefore quench the power of the Holy Spirit in the world. And I'm telling you, that's his goal. He knows that if he can get you lured back into the things of the world, the things that you have been called out of, then you will grieve the Holy Spirit of God. And if you grieve the Holy Spirit of God in your life, then you quench the power of the Holy Spirit of your God, and it renders you powerless and worthless for the kingdom. And that's his plan, my friends, for the Christian. He's doing everything he can to keep everybody else out, but he has the allurements here of the world to draw you back into that which you have been saved from to keep you from having, an, to keep you from having a carrot cake experience on an everyday level with people in the world. That's his plan. I gotta calm, calm down. Robin's back there going, getting too cranked up. First, I'm just kidding. She's not doing that. But in her heart, you knew her heart, you are. First, first, first John 2, 16. First John 2, 16. Here's what we're talking about. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure. I'm going to stop and just say, listen, I'm using a different version here because it actually is using the word that's supposed to be used. Literally, the word is craving. You might have the lust of the flesh, or it might be the desires of physical things. You might have that in your version. But what it's talking about is the world is full of cravings, okay? 
the things that allure us, the cravings, the cravings of our heart. The world offers only a craving for physical pleasure and a craving for everything we see and pride in our achievements. Your, your Bible might say the pride of life. This is literally the boasting in our achievements and our possessions. These are not from the Father, but are from this world. Therefore, they're, who are they from? Satan himself. And you're like, what? It is the cravings of these things. He knows that he can get us sucked back in. These things are worldly, John says. They are not godly. And I want you to hear that John's not dealing with surface sins or surface actions like lying, stealing, gossip, adultery, and murder, etc. He's dealing with something much deeper. He's actually dealing with the cravings and desires of our hearts. Scripture calls those the thoughts and intents of our hearts. You see, our actions are the end result of our attitudes. And an attitude is a way of thinking and a way of living formed over a long period of time. And in most cases, it's harder. Don't you know? Are you, don't, can you testify that it's harder to change an attitude? It's harder to rehabilitate an attitude than it is to change an action. In fact, just changing your action doesn't change who you are. When is a thief, scripture says, no longer a thief? What's the answer? Is it when he stops stealing? You might go, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, not necessarily. Just because he stops stealing doesn't mean he's not thieving in his heart. It's just a matter of time before he will steal again. When is a liar no longer a liar? When he stops lying, you know, okay, you, you stop lying, so I know you're not a liar. Is that true? No, you know a liar has been changed and transformed whenever he begins to speak truth. That's how you know somebody's truly been changed. And Jesus said that our actions, that which people see on the outside are a result of what's going on in the place where you can't see. He said the good and the bad things that a person does, their actions on the outside is a result of the good and the bad attitudes that they have been storing up in their hearts. This is what John's going after here. Worldliness is allowing cravings to control me. Cravings like hunger, thirst, sleep, sex. Anything wrong with hunger? Is there something innately sinful about hunger? Now, you know why you have hunger pains? Because we're stupid and it reminds us you have to eat. Because if you don't eat, you'll die. Okay? Hunger is fine until it turns to gluttony. Thirst. Is thirst a good thing or a bad thing? Thirst is a good thing. If you didn't feel thirsty, you wouldn't drink. And if you don't drink, you'll get dehydrated. If you get dehydrated, you'll die. You have to drink. It's fine. Thirst is fine. Unless it leads to alcoholism and dependence, then that's a problem, right? How about sleep? Sleep is glorious <laughs> until it turns into laziness. Sex is amazing. Can you, is it okay for me to say that? <laughs> it is. God created it. It's God's idea. It's not my idea. It's not man's idea. God made it up. And it's amazing. Until it leads to immorality done outside the bounds of marriage then it's a problem 
and it's called worldliness. Worldliness is allowing good things that are given by God to control me. Things like craving for physical pleasure. That's what he says. These are the things of the world. A craving for physical pleasure. What I want and what I see. I see it and so I want it. I want it so I'm gonna go get it. Some of your Bibles say the lust for the flesh. The flesh is an interesting word. I came across this in my study. Write this down on your paper somewhere. Write down flesh. F-L-E-S-H. Cross out the H and now spell it backwards. What do you get? Self. Self. That's what is at the root of the craving for physical pleasure. It's me on the throne. I want what I want and I want it now. And watch out, here I go. I'm gonna go get it no matter what, because I want it. I love me. And here's our problem. What my flesh wants is easy to desire and I love to do it because it comes very natural to me. This is what we have been saved out of. And everything in the world system is calling out to that part of me that I still have. I still have a propensity to sin. I still have a bent towards sin. That is not gonna be redeemed until I get to heaven. But day after day, I've gotta get up every day, every moment of every day, I've gotta take captive every thought that wants me to be on the throne and say, no, I'm not gonna do that. I'm gonna submit to the things of God. I'm not gonna serve myself. I'm not gonna chase after those empty pleasures that Satan wants me to chase after. Paul describes it in Romans chapter seven, verse 18. I know that good itself does not dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do that, what I do not want to do, it's no longer I who do it, but it is the sin living in me that does it. So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being, I delight in God's law, but I see another law at work in me. He's saying, I want to do what is right. Anybody wanna just like say, yes, that's me? I find this work, this law work against me, waging war, there it is, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of the law of sin at work within me. What a wretched man I am. Who will rescue me from this body that is subject to death? What's the answer? The powerful name of Jesus, that's the answer. Thanks be to God who delivers us through Jesus Christ our Lord. We're toast on our own, but Jesus came and made a difference and changed me. And now I can live in victory. I don't have to love the things of the world anymore. The things that are easy for me to do. It's easier to love than, or to hate than to love. It's easier to take than to give. It's easier to indulge myself than to discipline my mind and to discipline my lust and my desires. And Satan's system is designed to take all that is good that God created and try to tempt us and lure us outside of God's righteous boundaries. And it calls to us every moment of every day. The cravings of physical pleasure. Here's the other thing, craving to boast in our achievements and possessions. 
and this boasts of who I am. The other is, is, is what I want. This is the pride of life, the boasting of what I've done and who I know, which means I'm boasting in who I am instead of who Christ is. I'm in a bit of a time crisis right now, so I am uh, trying to decide what I should do here. You okay? You all right? I have to ask myself, I have to keep myself in check um, on this. And I have to ask myself a couple of questions, a couple of diagnostic questions. So you want, you want to go for them? Okay, here's diagnostic question number one in this whole thing of who I am. Do I desire position and impact? Hmm. Anything wrong with desiring position and impact necessarily? Not necessarily. In fact, the Bible even says if you desire the office of an elder, you desire a good thing. That's desire position that comes with impact. But I've got to ask myself, why do I want and desire position and impact? Do I want to be recognized and do I want to be raised up before men? Or do I want God to exalt me in his time and to use me the way he wants me to be used when he's good and ready? Nothing wrong with desiring what God desires, but Jeremiah 45.5 warns us and says, are you seeking great things for yourself? Don't do it! Because I will bring great disaster upon these kinds of people. God's not okay with us exalting ourselves. In fact, he, he positions himself against those who do. Ambition is great as long as its goal is God's glory and none for myself. Here's another question I need to ask myself. Do I pride myself on who I know? Hmm. Do I find myself clamoring to get close to people in position and power? Do I find myself dropping names every chance I get? Here's the, here's the message. To desire to be recognized by who you are associated with is worldly. Don't love that. Here's another question. Do I go dark and get angry if my pride is hurt or if my rights are stepped on? Do I rise up and demand apologies and restitution? See, pride says, I'm not gonna put up with this. You're not gonna treat me this way. That's what pride said. I have to say this, okay, because someone will say this to me. They'll say, oh, so I have to sit in abuse? No, it's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about protecting your ego, not protecting your life. When that kind of stuff wells up inside of us, that's not the Holy Spirit emboldening us and leading us to speak up and stand up for our rights. That's worldliness speaking. That's the person we used to be. And these things need to be passing away from us. These three things that we're dealing with, the cravings for physical pleasure, the cravings of the things we see and the boasting of our life, they're all gateways to sin and Satan knows us. And he knows how he can get us. 
and he's been doing it from the beginning of time. Did you know that this isn't new? This has existed from the very beginning. You wanna see it at work in the ancient world real quick? You can go to Genesis chapter three, the very first recorded encounter with man is Satan in the form of a snake and he entices Eve with all three cravings at one time. Remember, he says, eat, this, eat from this tree. And she goes, we can't eat from this tree. And this is what he said. God knows that when you eat from it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Here it is. Watch this. Watch this at work. This is the world system, Satan's system. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food, there's the cravings of physical desire. And pleasing to the eye, there's the cravings of what we can see. And also desirable for gaining wisdom. Bam, there's the pride of life. She took some and she ate it. Isn't that something? All the way back at the very beginning of time, Satan was working his plan. Remember when he tempted Jesus out in the wilderness? He actually comes before Jesus, the king of the universe, but he knows that he's clothed in flesh. And so he comes to tempt Jesus. And he says to him, I know you've been fasting for 40 days and you're hungry. Prove to me you're the son of God by turning these stones to bread. There's the cravings for physical desires. Turn these, you know, you know you can. Turn these into bread so you can have something to eat. I know you're hungry. Then he took him to the top of a mountain and said, worship me and I will give you all that your eye can see. There's the cravings for what our eyes can see. Then he took him to the top of a temple wall and he said, throw yourself down. You're the son of God, aren't you? All of heaven will come. The angels of heaven will come. They will not let you be injured. You're something special. You're the son of God. You're important to heaven. And there's the pride of achievements and possessions. Can you believe it? Can you believe how bold that guy is? Can you believe that he actually went before the king of the ages? He went before the creator of the universe. He went before God himself and tried to tempt him with the world system. And every time Jesus said, get out from my face, this is what the word says about you. You're a liar. None of these things will bring pleasure. Adam and Eve, Jesus, and every one of us who call on the name of the Lord are facing the same satanic pull of the world to betray the Father and to be worldly. And we're not supposed to love any of this. Colossians 3, 2 says, set your minds on things above not on the earthly things. For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ. Don't love the world. And the last reason why we don't love the world is this, because of where it's going. Look at verse 17. This world is fading away along with everything that people crave. Along with everything that people crave. But anyone who does what pleases God will live forever. So two things are happening simultaneously. Satan's world system is doomed and God's people will live forever no matter what. These two things are happening side by side. The world is in a process of dissolving away. Are you hearing me? The world is not evolving, it's dissolving. It's fading away. It is in a self-destruction mode. And it's ju just the system. I have to warn the people of the system today. 2 Timothy 3.33 says, evil people and imposters will flourish. He's talking about the end times. And we're in the end times. They will deceive others 
and will themselves be deceived. All the people of the world system are in a death spiral. Every human being who has followed Satan's system is being catapulted into eternal hell. Eternal, get this now, eternal life in eternal death. Eternal life in hell, eternal hell. This is what the Bible reality is. Second, Timothy, Second Thessalonians 1, 7. Jesus will come with his mighty angels in flaming fire, bringing judgment on those who don't know God and on those who refuse to obey the good news of our Lord Jesus. They will be punished with eternal destruction, forever separated from the Lord and from his glorious power. This has already been set into motion. All those who are caught in false religions, all those who are trapped in ideologies and philosophies and conduct offered by this world system, all those who love the world and the things of the world are outside the kingdom of God and the realm of salvation and are going to die an eternal death, the scripture says, an unending death of punishment in everlasting hell, an eternal torment of fire. Man, Phil, what are you doing? You trying to, you trying to scare us? I'm just reading you the Bible. I'm just telling you what the Bible teaches. That is reality. Satan's going to be there. All the demons will be there, and all the human beings who've ever lived and loved this world more than loving the things of God will be there. Sin is destroying the very system it thrives on. It's like cancer. It's like eating itself. But that is not a threat to us because at the end of verse 17, it says, anyone who does and what pleases God will live forever and never die. We're not going where Satan's world system is going. It's going into death. We're going into life. So how foolish of us to love the things of the world. How silly of us to chase after the things that we have been called out of. We know they don't bring pleasure. It's just a momentary, it's just a momentary pleasure. You know it, you know it, you know it. How many times have you gone back to it and go, why did I do that? I know it doesn't satisfy. But in the moment you think it did. That's Satan right there. That's not what God's people do. Come on. Live in the light. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, and mind, and don't love this world. We have the love of the Father in us. Let's stand, and I want to read to you what ought to be something we all memorize, and this becomes our daily mantra out of Philippians chapter three, verse seven. Speaking of the things of the world, I once thought these things were valuable, but now I consider them worthless because of what Christ has done. Yes, everything else is worthless when compared with the infinite value of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. And for his sake, I have discarded everything else, counting it all as garbage, so that I could gain Christ and become one with him. I want to know Christ 
and experience the mighty power that raised him from the dead. That mighty power does not exist in the things of the world. It exists in the things of the word. And may God help us in this war against the world and the world system. So Lord, I pray that you'll help us. We need your help. We are weak. We know that. But the scripture says that where we're weak, you're strong if we submit ourselves to you. And so we submit ourselves to the strength of your word in us. We, we submit ourselves to the power of your Holy Spirit at work in us to help us defeat sin in our lives and to help us to defeat the war that is being waged upon us and upon other people by sharing Jesus Christ with them. Lord, so do a work in us so that we can do a work, you can do a work through us out there in the world and help us to walk worthy of our calling and to walk worthy of the sacrifice, to walk in a way that proves our love for you and not the world. And I just wanna say that there might be somebody here today that you're caught in a sin and you know you're not supposed to be there and you feel the conviction of the Holy Spirit of God in your heart. We're gonna talk about the fact that the conviction of the Holy Spirit is one of the proofs that you are a Christian. And if you're under conviction about a sin that has overtaken you and you need help with that, we would love to pray over that with you and our prayer team will be down here to help you with that. But if you don't know the Lord, and you want a relationship with the Lord and you realize today that you need him, whether you're here in the building or you're with us online, please reach out to us. At the end of the service, if you're here in the building, come to the front and we wanna help you through this, help you with your walk with the Lord. But Lord, give us strength and I pray that you'll bless my brothers and sisters as we go and fight against worldliness and give us victory in Jesus' name, amen. God bless you as you go. Share some love on your way out, okay?